Hi, I'm Trisha Johnson, the host of Aspen Ideas To Go. I'm here to introduce our special series on nature, health, and climate change. Speakers from Spotlight Health stepped off stage for these intimate conversations. My colleague, Marcy Krivenin, is our host. Thanks for listening. It's the Aspen Ideas To Go Offstage series. I'm Marcy Krivenin, producer of podcasts at the Aspen Institute. Today, the relationship between us and the natural world. Nature was the first place that humans had to thrive in. So we looked to nature for a lot of solutions, even though we tend to not take very good care of it. What is it that nature provides that we can't live without? Medicine, a sense of place, even happiness? Nature can be a destroyer, replenisher, and provide a sense of calm. Why is it that we take nature for granted, and how can we learn from our mistakes? The Aspen Ideas to Go Offstage series goes into the issues that impact all of us. These conversations feature presenters at Spotlight Health, the opening segment of the Aspen Ideas Festival. Kia Krauss is a writer who published a piece in The Atlantic about scientists looking for treatments in one of the harshest places in the world. Her piece, The Hunt for Wonder Drugs at the North Pole, took her aboard a Norwegian research vessel. The scientists on the boat were scouring the sea for compounds that could cure cancer or treat infections. So thanks for being here. Thank you. So you spent some time on this research vessel, which was called the Helmar... Hansen, is that mm-hmm. how you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah. With some Norwegian scientists or bioprospectors, right, uh, for your latest article in The Atlantic. What was that like? What was that experience uh, like? It was wild. I'm a New Yorker, so the isolation of the boat um, definitely was something a- that you had to adjust to, but um, there was a rhythm to it. Uh, the group from Marbio, this team of scientists, they go out pretty regularly, twice a year, one time a year to two times a year. And it's a pre- pretty regular cast of characters. So they are really familiar with the boat and they kind of settle into this routine where they spend six hours on, six hours off, sampling the water and the um, sediment on the bottom of the ocean. But for me, I uh, definitely couldn't really (laughs) get my bearings for the first couple of days. You know, um, the boat was rocking and rolling and it was cold. And um, it was also becoming that time of year where the sun no longer comes up. So it was like a constant dusk. So it was really the environment was really new to me, but gorgeous. And um, this area of the world is very sparsely populated, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like less than 3,000 people? That's right. Um, Svalbard is very big. Um, It's about the size of West Virginia. And I think there's around 2,000 regular residents there. Um, There is some excavation going on. I I know that there's mining on one part of that. um, I guess you could call it an island. And, of course, scientists and adventure tourists. So you know, 2,000 regular residents. But other than that, yeah, not many people. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and how long were you there? Or how long were you on the vessel? Um, I think it was 12 days. So we mentioned before that these scientists are called bioprospectors. Mm-hmm. Why are they called that? What is that? Um, I really like the phrase bioprospecting. Um, bioprospecting is going out into the into nature 
and discovering microorganisms that can be used to be turned into medicine that's helpful to humans. Um, So prospecting, I would say, is kind of exactly like prospecting. You're looking for... um, you're looking for something of, of substance that has yet to be found that could benefit you or humans, um, biobiology. But bioprospecting isn't necessarily something new. And I think that if, if you were to really look into it, humans could be considered bioprospectors back to Egypt, Egyptian times. And there's even this text called the Ebers Papyrus that has um, all the plants that Egyptians harvested and used for um, medicinal purposes. And that's considered bioprospecting. Um, bioprospecting on water is a little different than bioprospecting on land. So that's like one distinction. And then bioprospecting in cold waters is its own sort of subset of bioprospecting, too. And that particular bioprospecting, which you were observing on this voyage, is harder, right? What are the scientists doing? How are they finding these uh, compounds that uh, could lead to cures to cancer and that kind of thing? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, um, just to uh, make a distinction with why people are looking in, in the northern colder oceans for um, new life is they're operating on a hypothesis that the microorganisms that can thrive in colder climates and darker kind of more like violent circumstances might be putting off something called secondary metabolites. But it, for all intents and purposes, it's just sort of like they're more potent because they have to like thrive harder. So they have a theory that they could find really useful microorganisms in cold oceans because of the conditions in which the microorganisms thrive. And it's harder because there's ice, the conditions are worse, and there's a variety of ways that they gather things. Um, They scrape the bottom of the ocean with uh, like a claw. It looks like a... it looks like a claw, and it brings up like a wheelbarrow's worth of um, sediment from the bottom of the ocean that goes on a table, and then you just pick through it. Um, they collect specimens with divers, which is so intense because this, these are men and women um, scuba diving in the Arctic Ocean, so that's crazy and cold. And, and then they also um, go on to land and they shore pick. And that's also kind of perilous too, because, you know, icy and slippery and dangerous. And there's also polar bears. And one of the things I, I noticed about the scientists and the bioprospectors, and I don't know if they would agree with me, but this was my observation, is they were all really one with the outdoors. They were all very into being outside in the wilderness. And I, and I, thought that that seems like a prerequisite almost for getting into this line of work is being able to love being in these cold extreme environments and out in the outdoors wow yeah and are they you know you mentioned they're out on the shoreline what are they looking for what is the word you use a variety of things um so some of them were looking for fungi so they were they were one of the one one thing i didn't expect is that 
on Svalbard, there's a ton of enormous logs that have washed up on shore that are from Siberia. And apparently this is common and it's part of the tides and they just are cut the shores are covered with Siberian driftwood that grows fungus and so um, a couple people were looking at the fungus on the driftwood and like harvesting little pieces Um, algae so cutting algae off rocks but you know from the bottom of the ocean starfish um, sponges sea squirts um, tunicates like you know all these little creatures that you grind up and make into powders and then see powders and um you know, do tests with them and see how they work on different ter- types of bacteria. And, yeah. You know, are there crises in medicine that have led these scientists to go on, go into this harsh environment and, and look for potential yeah. cures? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was following um, the people on the boat looking for um, leads for new antibiotics, which is definitely a looming uh, health crisis. Antibiotic resistance is on the rise. And uh, I think this is a hyp- uh, hyperbolic phrase, but it's being used, which is antibiotic winter, which is when, um, so bacteria are alive. And bacteria can get a sense of how an antibiotic works when they're exposed to it. And so then they can find ways to go around antibiotics. So the more a human consumes antibiotics, either because they've been prescribed them and they are unhealthy or they're eating like animals or fish that have been farmed that are raised on antibiotics, you develop um, a resistance to their effectiveness. And antibiotic winter is this hypothetical scenario where all antibiotics cease to work and we kind of regress as a society where small infections kill people. Things like chemotherapy treatment would not be feasible anymore because um, um, cancer patients rely pretty heavily on antibiotics when they get sick. Um, So it would be really, really bad. It would be like going back before penicillin was ever made. Mm. And so, so the reason that it's urgent to find new antibiotics is because there's a very bleak scenario in which this antibiotic winter plays out. And finding a new antibiotic isn't the only solution. And the the team at Marbio is aware of that. Um, the, the better thing to do would be to change our prescribing. Antibiotics are over-prescribed. About 73 billion doses are prescribed every year, which is 10 doses for every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. And that's just unnecessary. And so in addition to hunting in the North Pole for the next um, microorganism that could lead to an antibiotic that is new, that bacteria doesn't have any experience with, we should also be, um, as as a human race, Become more aware of our um, consumption of antibiotics. Make sure you buy food that hasn't been exposed to them. But also when you're sick, you know, maybe don't go for that Z-pack and see if you have a virus instead of an infection. And those often get conflated. Um, So, yeah. How close are we to this antibiotic winter? Uh, I read a study that's um, if the problem isn't addressed by 2050, there's a chance that more people will die from infections than cancer worldwide. 
And, uh, you know, the, the things that they pulled out of the ocean and off the land, have any of those led to uh, new medicines? So um, it's really difficult to create a new drug. Um, it takes, on average, $2.5 billion. For those that make it into clinical trials, only 12% ever become uh, a medication that you would see in a store on a shelf. And the boat itself costs $25,000 a day to operate. So um, so when you think about all those factors, it is really hard. And then you're looking for a needle in a haystack. Um, so they've had some successes um, with things they've found that have um, gone into different various um, stages of testing, um, but nothing yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, the amount of medicines that have natural ingredients or are plant-based, I mean, is large. I mean, we depend on nature to keep us well. Absolutely. Um, You know, one of the most, it's synthetic now, but one of the most common things is aspirin. It came from willow bark Um, and Taxol, which is one of our most common um, anti-cancer drugs is from the Pacific yew tree. So it's, yeah, a lot, a lot of our medicine comes from nature. And actually, if you think about it, I mean, that makes sense. Going back to the um, Eberus papyrus, like, you know, they were using honey as an antibiotic to fight infections. And so, I mean, nature was is where humans, I mean, now it doesn't feel like we're in nature when we're in a big city, but nature was the first place that humans had to thrive in. So, yeah, I mean, we look to nature for a lot of solutions, even though we tend to not take very good care of it. Right. Take it for granted. Yeah, take it for granted. Mm -hmm. You know, this series is about the, the relationship between humans and nature. And obviously, you saw this through the reporting you did on what these scientists are doing, but maybe also through your experience. I mean, being so close to this harsh natural environment. Um, what did you come away with personally? Oh, so much. I think one of the things that I felt a lot was you realize how infrequently you're actually alone on planet Earth. You're you're constantly within eyesight of another human or you have your phone or you have your laptop and you know, being able to be completely isolated in nature kind of makes you reconnect with its kind of power and um, and its importance. And um, I, I frankly uh, was just stunned by how it's not like we're scientists and we're going to look for a thing. It, it was more like part of an ecosystem out there, you know, like humans rely on nature to go on as a human race. And because of that, humans need to, you know, take care of nature as if it's the most important thing. And I think that very few people have that sort of association unless you go through a process of being completely isolated and seeing how people who, not not profit, but like, you know, benefit from being a nature scientist, uh, respect it greatly. Mm-hmm. Right. You, know? you observe how other people who are in it all the time, uh, their relationship with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's different. You know, it's 
it's they have a lot of they have a lot of respect for that environment and what they're doing out there and yeah Hmm. last question for you is you know what science stories aren't being covered or aren't being covered well you know you just mentioned the antibiotic situation is that being covered in a way that people are taking seriously um i have a lot of thoughts on the coverage of drug resistance um it tends to be reported as really apocalyptic and i and i i do think that it is a very frightening situation um you kind of forget that um public health crises go hand in hand with exploration and innovation and there's a whole world out there where it's yes this is a really scary problem but human ingenuity is um a very powerful resource and there is a lot um of work being done not only with bioprospecting but with um you know organizations and public health initiatives that around the world are trying to raise awareness of this one particular problem um in terms of science that goes under reporting i mean i'm a pretty big consumer of science um science writing and I just think that there's a lot of exploration that's still taking place. And I think we tend to, we're, we're still, we read a lot about species disappearing. And I, I just think that there's positive things happening in the science and nature realm that go um, less reported than our losses. And I think it's important to balance <laughs> the positive with the negative as a consumer of news. And so, you know, I... Right. And I, I kind of have a philosophy of wanting to report stories of hope, but mm. I don't know if sure. that's, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because maybe that goes against the grain a little bit when it comes to reporting. Uh, ringing the alarm bells is more the norm. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Kia Krauss, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Kia Krauss is a freelance writer who covers science and nature. I'm Marcy Krivenen, associate producer and editor for the Aspen Ideas Festival team. Make sure to subscribe to Aspen Ideas to go wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Aspen Ideas year-round on Twitter and Facebook at Aspen Ideas. The Aspen Institute is a nonpartisan forum for values-based leadership and the exchange of ideas. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.